What is going on, everybody? I am uh, broadcasting live from the bunker in the apocalypse uh, here in Thornley. Uh, yeah, life is a totally different uh, different thing for all of us now. I uh, sit in a room with no one else mostly all of the day, although my wife is now at home, which is a nice little, uh, I guess, bonus for the social interactions, the human touch component that we all require moving forward. Uh, look, I got an interview done. I was able to arrange for an interview and, and get something happening with this uh, interview side, the unplug yourself side of it. Uh, I was I was excited about it. You know, I was looking forward to it. I mean, this whole thing now where it's all going to be remote is not something I was worried about. I think it, it uh, is a natural progression, but it's good to know that we can still make some connections. Uh, with people around us. Everything's remote now. I mean, I'm considering drinking beer over the uh, the v- video conferencing, just socializing, looking for ways to play games on the internet with other people to just kind of create that connection. And if you listen to my uh, Food for Thought, uh, I talked about how to kind of maintain some levels of sanity and prepare for all this stuff. You know, it's hard to know how long it's going to take, but it's not all doom and gloom. It's about, you know, what what is the problem and what are we doing to solve it? You know, what are we going to do to move forward as uh, as a group, as uh, you know, with society? As much as I've got my reservations on society as a whole at this point in time, uh, we, you know, have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to make the right decisions and do the right things. And we're being afforded the liberty to do so through our governments. Uh, we should be doing it. Uh, it's important. You know, I think the the headline here is, is if it doesn't feel like anything happened, then we did a good job. Uh, and that's uh, something that I'm looking forward to hopefully hearing, you know, in the coming uh, months that uh, it was a bit of a blip and we got through it. Fortunate to live in Australia. Uh, it's a good place to be. Um, but, you know, let's let's loop back around. I don't want to talk about coronavirus. That's all I seem to do. Uh, it's uh, it's the common conversation. Let's get back around to it. You know, I've you know, been thinking about the the way that the mental health plays out with something like this going on and how people, you know, are dealing with and processing this information and how are they managing it. You know, it goes back to the fact that um, I really wish that I'd finished this book and published it just before this thing came out because it it seemed like it seems like now it's it's a good way of approaching the the whole way of dealing with all of this. You know, specifically, where are you getting your information from and how are you drinking your water, right? Uh, how are you hydrating your brain with information? I think it's important that we consider, you know, detoxification, kind of stepping back from it all. You know, we know what we're supposed to do. Let's get along with it, you know. But the mental health side of it, is tough, and I, I hope everybody is trying to craft a, a positive growth mindset. Uh, you know, when when with the changes now being at home, with what you're doing everywhere, I hope that you know you're become more self aware with uh, being surrounded by other people, uh, or being trapped in a house with people, friends, and and children and family, like whoever you're stuck with. Uh, you know, how do you how do you know your impact, and and how does that uh, kind of reverberate away from you? Having a little bit of emotional intelligence about all this, you know, hey, let's let's not go crazy, let's not lose it, um, you know, and let's uh, be mindful. Let's be mindful that you know we're in in tight spaces. We need to do the right things. We need to kind of exercise and make sure we take care of ourselves. And we need to do things that are positive and reflection around you know, the current state of everything. So, I know I said I didn't want to talk about coronavirus specifically, but um, you know, I'm thinking about how this all plays out in the long term. How do we deal with all these sorts of things going forward? Um, you know, and I, there'll be a period of time where we're going to have to come up with new ways of, you know, living life. And, you know, a lot of that fits in, uh, you know, what is that inner monologue doing? How are you talking to yourself? How are you working this in your mind? How are you formulating your plans for getting through the day, the month, the week, whatever it is, you know, what are you getting up to? What are those old things you're going to do to preoccupy yourself, to give yourself positive outlets to kind of, you know, kind of deal with all this. Um, you know, so whilst the world uh, shudders and retracts and goes into this sort of lockdown mode, um, you know, now's the time to kind of, you know, reforge some of those old hobbies, maybe have a look at things, you know, get get uh, more connected in a way, reach out more often, touch base, make sure you do a video call with people, you know, kind of seek that connection, make that point of, of going, uh, you know, sort of overboard to connect with people and, you know, and just get that done. I mean, I feel like I'm actually connecting more now than I ever have, which is odd to say, but um, it's not for lack thereof, you know, when we don't have, we have a heavily busy life and now we are less busy because we're singularly focused kind of in our own homes. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about, but uh, nevertheless, you know, make a connection and, and reach out to people and check in. You know, it's it's good. 
it's good to check in. Um, let's loop back around. I got an interview with uh, a man named Alex Peck. He is a founder of a startup. He's got a, a couple of business partners that he works with, but I met him early on. Well, not too early on in his journey, but earlier on in his journey, um, pre sort of a pivot. And I was always uh, somewhat fascinated by him as a person, you know, him and his group and the culture he they were creating. They generally seem to kind of just have this singular focus, this problem to solve, and and this sort of mindset around where they were going. And Alex was, um, I think for lack of a better description, fastidious in his approach. He was, you know, laser focused, in my opinion. In talking to him, it didn't sound like he felt that way. But on the outset, I was looking at a guy who seemed to really kind of have a grasp on where he was trying to achieve and where he was trying to go and why he was doing it. He really kind of had a handle on why, which I think we all strive to get a hold of and suffer sometimes to find. Um, so it was, uh, you know, whilst I was giving them uh, insurmountable amounts of shit, um, I was very respectful of the fact that you guys were doing things that uh, I had not done, uh, not, not in my life. I'd only been on the sort of the bench for or on the spectating seat for and these guys were doing a thing uh, which was very interesting and it was disruptive in the appropriate sense of what it was um, so this is my chat with Alex you know we kind of danced around some of the concepts of uh, mindfulness and self-awareness and different bits and pieces um, but uh, yeah you can uh, check it out now as I hand over to myself doing an interview with Alex Peck <laughs> So then it'll get formal and then it'll sound yep. really weird because Joe will put on his podcasting sort of thing and then you'll be like, oh, we're going now. <laughs> okay, let's do it. First, have you ever done a podcast? Yeah. You uh, have? Once. Oh. I have. What did it you wasn't do? my own. I was on someone else's. Oh, so you are a, a regular guest at this point now on podcast. Well, look, the last one was in 2016. Ooh, an so, early podcaster. Um, so regular might not be the word, right? Um, to use, but it, it's it's not my first rodeo. Oh well, that's good to know. So, what was the podcast? Second, second rodeo. Yeah, yeah. Um, the podcast was done by some guys I used to work with, and they were <clears throat> um, they were looking at um, doing a series where they interviewed founders of startups and right. investors like early stage investors mm. in startups um and just kind of having general conversations understanding different people's stories and kind of mm. trying to bridge the gap between like founders and investors and, and understanding kind of where they might be aligned or misaligned on different topics and things like that oh interesting that yeah. was um that was as i say i think i think it was a, i think it was in late 2016 so i just left my previous job and we were doing um like the first startup we were we were working on parallel parking the old parallel parking oh the old geez, parallel the parking. Old life for you well that's it alex peck we're gonna start now we're gonna do it that's gonna be the preamble and we're gonna move into your second rodeo where awesome. you're gonna talk about the things all the things but before we get going into all that yeah alex Tell us a little bit about who you are. Where, where are you from? Are you originally a Sydney guy? Do you do the greater Australia or is it a New South Wales, Sydney sort of a lifestyle? You yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Sydney. Um, I grew up most of my life in Beecroft, which is like northwest. It's right down the street um, from you. Yeah, right down the street from you. Yeah. Um, I, I've lived my whole life here. Um, went to school uh, and uni around here. Started work in Sydney City. Mm. Um, what else do you want to know? I'm 27. Star um, sign? You got to... Um, Engaged? I believe that <laughs> I believe that my star sign is cancer. Oh. I don't know anything about um, star signs. I don't know anything about star signs either, mm. except when I was a kid, when I was told that, I thought it meant that I was going to get cancer. So Ooh, I didn't... Um, yeah. I wasn't too happy about that. That's which nice. is maybe why I'm so anti um, uh, anti star signs now. I suspect that um, could or, be a great reason to not be into star yeah. signs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drew the short short straw on star signs yeah. that was out from the beginning. Yeah, I tend uh, I tend to agree with that though because I'm pretty sure when I heard like cancer, I was like, "Damn, you don't want that one." <laughs> Sounds like a horrible one. No way. Yeah, um, I'm I'm in a long term relationship 
oh. um, which has just become long distance as well. Oh. My partner just moved to London. Oh, oh, so it's not just because of the coronavirus that you now are in self-isolation away from each other. No, it's much, it's much, it's much longer bigger. than that. We oh, took 1.5 meters and social isolating very seriously. Yeah, yeah so she, she moved to London um, about two and a half weeks ago. So oh, kind wow. of before everything started getting quite real. Yeah. Oh, crap. Um, so she's there now. Yeah. And was sorry, I take, I'm going to just uh, wager a guess this was for a work career that she did this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Lauren and I both met at Deloitte in Sydney. We started mm-hmm. at around the same time and she has moved, um, to London to, to take up like a secondment there. Oh, fair enough. So short term. Yeah. Short term or? Um, well, it'll be probably around two years. So that's um, not very short. No, it's not. Um, and look, it's the type of thing that I would I would have gone as well had it not been for you know what I do Monday to Friday, sure. Um, which is running a startup called Baseup. Yep. As you know, um, so you know that that kind of anchors me to a um, to Sydney somewhat or to Australia mm. at least somewhat. Mm. Yeah, which is fair because I mean, so I think before we get uh, too heavy into base up, I mean, like one uh, that, uh, how long have you been doing this specifically now? Four, five um, years. Yeah, so I left. Um, so I previous to to getting to the startup world, mm. I worked at Deloitte as a consultant, mm-hmm. um, and I left there in the middle of 2016. It was actually my birthday right. in 2016, July 2016. Right. So I left then, um, and that was to do parallel parking, which is kind of the first form of, of yep. the startup that we're still running now. Yep. And then in probably late 2017, we kind of pivoted the business away from parallel parking and into um, what's now called base up. So yeah, like since the middle of 2016. Okay. Actually, um, and, and you know, just before that, probably for three or six months prior to that, I, I went part-time at Deloitte. So I was yeah. doing sort of part-time, part-time startup, part-time consulting. Uh, and then I kind of took the plunge in July, 2016. Okay. How long was that before uh, I met you guys at when I started IAJ then? So I can't remember when I started. Um, I was pretty close to the same must, time, right? Uh, it would have been maybe... maybe no, a year later. Yeah, I, I think I think nine months to twelve yeah. months later. Yeah, yeah. yeah when awesome. we were working there, and and you came over. Yeah, you guys seemed pretty serious when I got there. I was like, who are these Did serious we? guys in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> special, like, you know, looking like they know what they're doing, talking about Deloitte, like that used to be a thing for them. And I'm like, geez, look at these guys. <laughs> hey, by the way, how many um, phallic pictures and special notes have you found since you've left me in your books? How many uh, do you think you found? Oh, uh, dozens. I, I was I was finding them for a long time after I left that office. Yeah, man. I, put, um, I, I definitely sunk some time into just really trying to craft some future notes for you as little special messages. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they, they, they pop up every now and then. Yeah. I think, uh, thankfully, I think I've moved past all of the notebooks I would have had at yeah, that time. Would have had to, yeah. Although I suspect someone might be taking up the mantle for you. Oh, uh, yes. You them, I do find stuff like that in my books every now and then. Well, you are one of the only people I know who has their special pen and, and like has their special books and is very specific about that. And when yeah, you showed on... those cards to me, I just couldn't help myself. You really just, it was too much. <laughs> the pen, the pen's a big one. And, yeah. and Jack, um, as you know, one of our co-founders yeah. is, um, he doesn't do it maliciously, but he, he does tend to break a lot of my pens. Yeah. Um, just like, cause he'll fiddle with them. So, but I think I've kind of reined that in and I think I've probably only had two pens since I was in the same office as you. Oh, well, look, things have changed for you. That's it. You've, That's you've, it. Grown, you've grown as a pen user and a pen, <laughs> a pen thieves Protect have learned. Her. Yeah, yeah. As, as the guardian <laughs> of your pen, you've now, yeah. yeah, people know better than to steal them. I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with being a cancer. Yeah, possibly. It's possible. I have no idea what a cancer is known for, but we we can make up our own uh, component of in saying that they're protective. Of well, their, I mean, that's what everyone else is doing, right? Yeah, yeah they're protective. 
Jeez. Um, so parallel parking, base up, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into exactly what it is, what was the what what made you decide that startup life was the thing you most thought was uh, the thing you were going to do? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, because I because I think the the initial motivation to get into it um, is different to them why we've probably stayed. Mm. Um, so I think initially um, we thought we had a great idea. We thought um, that we could make it into a viable business. Uh, we thought it would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought it'd be rewarding. We thought we could make money out of it. Um, at the same time, I wasn't really, I wasn't really that keen to, um, to leave my corporate job at the time. I still felt like I was learning a lot there. I was really enjoying my job. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah. I was really enjoying my job. Um, and, you know, if it was just purely up to me, I probably would have stayed there for maybe another year because I still felt like I was getting a lot out of it. But it kind of just worked, you know, again against that favor that um, we, we really kind of needed to get into the market um, for, for parallel parking and we, you know waiting another year which just wasn't viable you know there was, there was competitors popping up and we sort of felt like we needed to jump at the opportunity so um, you know I, I think when it came down to it it was I didn't have a lot to lose um, you know at the time I was 23 yeah um, and you know obviously no kids, no mortgage, um, you know, no, no debt apart from hex. Mm. Um, so I, I, I sort of took the approach that like, if I, if I don't give this a crack, I'll probably regret it later on. Mm. Um, and if I do and it fails, well, there's not really a lot to, to lose there. And Deloitte was also pretty accommodating because at first, as I mentioned, they let me go part time. Yeah. And then when I actually did decide to make the plunge, um, I got to kind of take a, a I got to take leave, like a, a year of unpaid leave. Oh wow! So that if things didn't really go well, oh, um, right. I could I could have gone back, bounced back in, yeah. Yeah. What were you so doing I did for feel like I had a bit of... then. What was the consultancy type role you were in? Yeah, so I worked in. I was a I was a consultant, the strategy and operations right. team. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, it's all project based work. Sure. I finished up a project and left and I could have just come back in and started on a new project. Yeah. Yeah. The you know, machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I guess that was, um, how we first got into it. It kind of came down to, this could be really fun and rewarding and, and, um, you know, both personally and financially rewarding. And right now I can't really see a compelling reason not to. Yeah. Um, and you know, in saying that, at the time we had absolutely no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Um, yeah, like the, what, we the were, purest of startup kind of like drama. Yeah, like you know, you yeah. just there's 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 only so much you can kind of comprehend about what's going to come your way until you just kind of jump in the deep end and, and get stuck into it. Like there's just so much unseen mm. um, and so many mistakes to make. Um, along the way that you just obviously can't anticipate before you start making them. So, you know, I, I was, uh, I think we were both lucky that so Jack, my, the co-founder I started Parallel Parking with and, and I were, were close friends beforehand and I think kind of supported each other well and complemented each other's skills. Mm. Now, did Jack but still, work at we like, as well? No, no, yeah. he didn't. That's Yeah, no. I think I remember that now. He, he, he worked in sales roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so what? But you guys, so so take me back a little bit further. So before you went to Deloitte, you said you went to university, and yep. where'd you go to uni? Yeah, so I went to um, uni at Macquarie Uni in Sydney. Right. Okay. Um, I studied economics. Right, okay. Um, so money, a money guy. And what were you doing in high school? What kind of a high school guy were you? Um, uh, well, I mean, during high school, like, I, I really loved like I really I'm still mm. close to most of my friends from high school um, like I had a good time there I really like, enjoyed um, like the, the subjects I say like I, I got really into interest in economics at high school because I had a really sure. great economics teacher in high school so that's kind of 
what led me down studying economics and, you know, originally wanting to, to get into that field. Mm. Um, you know, I played, um, you know, sport for most of high school. I played baseball. I know we've chatted about that before for most of my, oh, yeah. um, like, uh, like childhood. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, it's just interesting you, because you're, you know, you always have struck me as somewhat of a heavily pragmatic person. I mean that as a compliment. Um, it's just that you, you have a very specific, almost practiced approach, right? And so I just was only curious in like that journey to the point where, you know, you kind of, you know, you think of the people that go and you know, aim to get a job at Deloitte, right? There's a certain, I feel like it's a certain type of person that kind of goes, all right, you know what? Actually, I know that's going to go well and going to give me a lot of ramp up but I'm going to have to go and work really hard when I'm there. So the trade-off is the experience, but truly it, that's what Deloitte is giving many people that go there and do that type of role. Um, we, I know someone else who just recently went off to go there and I was giving her a hell of a lot of hard time about it. Um, just saying, you know, I said, but fundamentally I know if anything, you'll probably come back and run the place when you're done. So there's that sort of reality, but then it, I often think about, you know, uh, because my son is uh, in grade 10. And so I'm really, I'm really in my mind now kind of thinking, well, you know, what, what is he going to do? You know, like, how is he going, like, what kind of a person is he, what is he going to kind of go for? You know, not that I have any expectation, but it's that, you know, you're, I remember being in high school and I was of a certain kind of person, you know, I had, a, you know, a certain trajectory that I went down, which was definitely nothing compared, like nothing what I did. It was definitely just like, let's just get out of here as fast as possible. Um, sure, but, sure. So I wasn't invested in school, um, you know, in the same way, but some people do invest in school and I feel like. You know, there's just some, you know, it's just interesting to see what people did, say, in high school. Um, you know, mm. I had stuff that was interesting to me, but I, I didn't put effort into it. But then kind of when I sure. got to, say, college, university, um, you know, I kind of went through the motions because I was already in that habit. But then what ended up happening was is then I was like, no, fuck this. I got to get out. Like, I need a break because I needed, like, effectively what Australians call the gap year because I just hadn't had mm. one. So about two years in, I was just like, I'm out. I got to have a break. This is just ridiculous. So I just stopped and was working full time. But then the irony mm. of that is is that um, I was still friends with people from, the, you know, from my university. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, like they're like doing stuff, projects. And so then all of a sudden here I was helping them do their projects. And then it kind of re-inspired yeah, right. me to go back because I'm like, well, if these motherfuckers, I'm doing their homework basically. <laughs> I might as well go do the work and finish. So then I went back and, yeah. I, and I worked full time, went to school full time and I finished. But that, that, that was the moment of my trajectory to kind of really figure out what was I able to get accomplished, learn, and kind of master, you know, in quick formation to then kind of build mm -hmm. a career off of that moment. So it was just such a late sure. point in my life when I, like in my mm -hmm. sort of schooling, when I went, oh shit, like I could figure this out from here now. I was so late. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I think during high school, I was always very um, cognizant that like, you know, I needed to get good grades to right. study the degree I wanted to mm -hmm. get a job that I would be, you know, happy with or like, you know, financially rewarded by or whatever that was. I think I was pretty, pretty switched on to that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty early on. I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. I guess a lot of my friends were as well. And I think probably partly is, is, is just due to kind of the people I was hanging out with. What did your um, parents do? Um, so my mom's a, my mom's a midwife. Right. Um, okay. my, my dad's worked in like operations and logistics for most of his career. Sure. Okay. Um, interesting. yeah. So I like nothing similar to, to what I've studied or yeah, what yeah. I do now. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's just more like, you know, um, if you think of like, um, product of origin and concepts where you're like, you know, obviously there's definitions that happened. Uh, but it mm. you know it could just be personality and stuff that created it as well. Like it's just you know the nature of family. Because do you have um, mm. siblings? Yeah, I've got a younger sister, younger four sister. years younger than me. All oh, right, okay, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Oh, that's a that's an interesting gap too. Four years. It's like you'd be like yeah. done what, with what's school. The, what's the gap with your kids? Mine are eighteen months. Yeah, about a year and a half. So they're oh, okay. two grades. Uh, it's kind of was the the silver lining gotcha, on having yeah. them so close together, but at the same time they were two years grade years apart, so they have a good gap yeah, in school. Right. Um, mm. However, ironically, shadow, you know, their experiences shadow each other, you know, like in similar similar areas of sport and sort of stuff. So, I mean, they're different, different, very different humans, but um, very mm. much kind of moving through in a similar thing. Um, gotcha. My oldest is super sporty. 
Um, he's smart, but he is only realizing that if he puts the effort in, he'll get the benefit. Um, cause yeah. you know, when he was younger, it kind of everything worked, but then he became far more sporty and got far more reward, you know, his own intellectual reward from that. Uh, but now he's kind right. of in the mode where he's starting to figure out that if he puts the work in at school and that sort of stuff that he is, you know, he can be quite nerdy about a few things and I'm just, you know, I'm like, see, I'm like, see, man, like, what are you doing? <laughs> we can do some more here. Um, you know, not that I have anything against him doing sport, but, you know, generally speaking, the statistics say by the time he's through his mid twenties, if he hasn't done it, then really he's not going to as such, you know, yep. they, they're going to zap you drive by the time you're 25. So he's got to figure it out. And if it doesn't work, he's got to have a plan and you know, that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah it's a funny business, the raising of children. Um, you know, I only do it part time. So, you know, I'm like a full-time thinker, but you know, they live with my ex. So it's just one of those things. Like <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I often yeah. think about what they should be doing and talk to them about it, but they're only in my general influence for a short amount of time. So yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a different thing. So let's talk a little bit about base up. So where are we at now? So obviously we've iterated a few times, but I think really, uh, for the listeners out there that have no idea what this is, although I have sold it, um, onto people many times that there's nothing I don't think ever resolved for, for that. Um, <laughs> well, you know, why don't you give us, you know, the, the explainer, Bit of a rundown. Yeah, give me, give me the explainer where are we at right now with, uh, with base up. Sure. Um, so base up makes, uh, parking technology, that gets deployed into large office buildings. Yeah. So we make um, hardware like access control systems as well as like software like apps and management systems um, for large companies to basically get more out of their parking assets. Mm. So most offices you go into, they've got really low utilization of their assets, uh, their parking assets, and most of the staff in those buildings don't have any access to the car park. So like if you're just a regular... Joe Blow, you're not part of the executive team, kind of too bad. You don't have any access to parking. You can go park in a Wilson or a Secure and pay through the nose each day. Um, so basically, the, the main thing our platform gets used for is opening those assets up to the people in the building. So if you uh, might just, you know, at any level in the business, um, if there's spare spaces available in your building, you can you can book and use those, and you do that through our app. Yeah. So that's, yeah, and that's, that's, that was an evolution from effectively a sort of slightly different model, which was parallel parking, um, yeah, which that's had a right. broader, so, a broader view of parking, from what I understand. That's right. So yeah, so parallel parking was like your classic peer-to-peer marketplace. Mm. Um, you've got a spare driveway in like a residential building, like it's a house or an apartment block, and you live near a uni or a beach or a train station, and people from the general public can book that and pay you directly to use your driveway or yeah. your carport or your, your garage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where we started, and that was, it was, you know, it, it was just born out of uh, like Jack and I having trouble finding car parks around uni yeah um and then it really developed once we built once we had the first kind of the hardware built which Mm. basically meant you could open stuff up with bluetooth like a boom gate Mm. then we kind of said hey there's actually a massive opportunity here with the corporate space Mm. um and we kind of then moved the business into that corporate space so now it's just it's nothing to do with the general public. It's just um, letting companies get more flexibility in how they manage their parking. Yeah, and how's that gone? I mean, I suspect it's going well, but you know, as a as a sort of pivot uh, or narrowing of focus, like has that paid off? You know, in, as oh, far absolutely. as you were hoping? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, and and so in the process of of moving to base up, we also brought on another um, co-founder, Pete, um, who you also know. Um, I. Yes, Jack I know, and I, I having be. done the <laughs> having done the parallel parking stuff, like still like often laugh, like, God, I'm I'm so glad we changed. Mm. And it, they're extremely different businesses to run. Um and and we're extremely happy that we made the choice to go down the corporate route. It has its pros and cons, but sure. for us I think it, it's a far more um viable business to be running yeah. for us. And the irony could be that you guys just that the first iteration could have just been way too early in time, you know, for where where the entirety of the world was thinking about these sorts of things, these problems, right? So yeah, and I, I think I think when it came down to it, that there was it was becoming an increasingly 
busy competitive landscape. Mm. So there's a lot of barriers to entry to setting up like a peer-to-peer marketplace, right? Mm. You, you, you can get an app built that's got a pretty basic booking system and you, and you do some marketing and you can kind of start. And I think a lot of people, a lot of companies were kind of setting up things that were the same as or very similar to parallel parking. Mm. Um, and what it basically came down to for us was we looked at the, the data to say, okay, how much is it, how much is it costing us to attain a customer, attract a customer? How much is it costing us to retain them, um, to keep them engaged with the platform? And then is that going to be viable for us with the funding that we've got? And um, if not, how much would we need to raise? Sure. And do we think it would be reasonable for someone to make an investment of that size in mm. our company as opposed to one of our competitors? And and really the answer to that was no. We don't have enough money and and we can't see why an investor should pick us over someone else. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's difficult to develop a competitive advantage with something like a peer to peer marketplace. Mm. It's it's it comes to, you know, a lot of it is comes down to marketing and how effective you are at that. And that really isn't a skill set. It's definitely not a skill set of mine. Sure. Sure. Well, that's interesting, man. And, um, I mean, obviously as you move through startup, but you go through the different iterations and the different versions of what you're going to do and there'll be the stresses of, you know, funding and, you know, you know, will mm. we go and won't we go? I mean, just kind of getting to the sort of tune of the, the podcast itself. I mean, obviously there's a, you know, a strain mentally to get through a lot of this stuff. Any startup and founder, startup founder is going to tell you, you know, just how hard these things truly are. I mean, you know, how, how did you, you know, manage that? How are you, you know, and continue to manage something like that, sort of the weight of, you know, building a business? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's definitely gotten easier over time. Sure. Um, although I, I think part of it is, is I've also gotten better at dealing with stress. Mm. So, I think that there is less stress now that we've moved to the corporate enterprise kind of model. There's, it's a bit more stable. You know, we've got more assured revenue and things like that. So in, in some respects, there's, there's less stress or different kinds of stress. Um, and then the other aspect, I think, is that I've probably gotten better at dealing with it. I think probably the most difficult time was when we were first first getting ready to launch parallel parking. Um I was still working, um, you know, my corporate job and then like, you know, would come home and then in the night be doing parallel parking work, not getting enough sleep. Um, I think one of the really big things at that time was almost not knowing what's important and therefore stressing about everything. Mm. So not having a good grasp on, you know, what were the really key things for, for the business at the time. Sure. And I can think of a million things we could be doing now, so I'm going to stress out all of them. Right. Whereas now I feel like I'm much better at saying, what's the best thing for base up right now? What does base up really need right now? And that's what I'm going to focus my attention on. And all this other stuff is, is fluff or it's, it's not important or it's not important right now. Mm. So I think kind of managing that has helped a lot. Yeah, I think... That's interesting, um, yeah. Because, I mean, there's two things. One, because you had, did mention to me not long ago that you got into cycling. Um, and it yeah. brings a great um, quote that I've, that's I've that been rumbling around recently uh, from Greg LeMond, uh, the one that he says, it never gets easier, you just go faster. And that you know, really <laughs> the, the cornerstone of that argument is it doesn't matter how much fitter you get with cycling because you will naturally get fitter and faster. Yeah. It doesn't make it any easier to ride. So, yeah, the, no, you know, that, that startup, right? Like that's yeah, the like whole that. thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but my, my, my question kind of on that is, is like, do you, was there a moment when you realized you were juggling so much and you had to start picking or was it just a natural progression for you, do you think? Um, look, I think that, I think that at, at points when I knew I was juggling too much, I knew that it wasn't sustainable but always felt that the business would settle down as opposed to me settling down. That's so like yeah. the, the business is always going to kind of be throwing a million things at you. Mm. Um, and I think it, I think that early on I thought uh, like once everything's launched, once we're running smoothly or once we've got this fixed or that fixed, it will settle down. But you know, I think like something that Jack and I always talk about is like, you just get used to things going wrong. Sure. And you just kind of accept it and, and you, you learn kind of not to worry about it. Mm. And I think kind of once 
um, I think we were both able to make that kind of mindset change that we couldn't worry about everything, that we needed to focus on what was going to be really important uh, and what was urgent and what, what needed to be prioritized. Mm. I think there was, yeah, the more the change from us as opposed to the business is what settled things down. Mm. I think another part of this as well is that early on, it was very difficult to um, separate work and non-work life. Yeah, yeah, Um, It's so easy to be constantly in the work mindset, Mm. especially when when you're trying to focus on it and and doing things at once, right? It's very easy to take that home and to never kind of switch off. Well, it's all consuming. I mean, this is like becomes yeah. your life, right? This is your life. Yeah, in order to totally. do it well, you have to. It, it is a life that you create. Totally. Um, yeah. And I think I think that um, probably in the last maybe 18 months or so, last year, I have gotten a lot better at, at switching off. Sure. Um, and, and doing things like cycling and, and having yeah. really engaging hobbies outside work really help yeah, with that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's got to be, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I mean, you read a lot of stuff about, you know, people that take that, um, the, that type of mental load of building a business, right? Even through startup, which is even, you know, even heavier, that the, the problems just get bigger and, you know, it doesn't really, it just keeps going. But they all focus on um, checkout points, right? Like a lot of this, mm-hmm. a lot of new conversations that I, and, and points that are being made about, you know, successful people is that they are getting up first thing and doing their exercise or getting it out of the way opening themselves up, mm. you know, really getting that mental clearance before they jump into the day, but also they're, you know, astutely prepared for what they know they're getting into that day as well. So in a way yeah. the checkout point isn't about doing the work. It's about being like organized prepping for the day by doing something that gives you that break. Right. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. It's an definitely. interesting gambit anyways, like no <laughs> building a business, even just working in general, you know, high pressure work, it's mm. just all, you know, it is what it is, but, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So, you know, I guess thinking about this whole thing, I mean, was there any point in time where you were kind of done with it and you wanted out and had to fight your way through that? Or is it always just kind of been a, you know, falling back on the team, you know, kind of, you know, regrouping and, and finding your way through it? Yeah, look, I don't think there's ever been a point where I've thought, where I've thought like, this isn't going to work or I'm sick of this, I'm out or whatever. Sure. Cause I think, I think at the end of the day, I've always found um, working for myself and working with my co-founders really rewarding. Right, um, right. There's that doesn't mean to say that there hasn't been um, like rough patches or, sure, or turbulence. Of yeah, yeah. Um, there absolutely has. Um, but I don't think my solution to that has ever really been like I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm out, or I don't mm. believe in it anymore, or, or or things like that. It's more been look, we're just going to have to really work hard here to, to kind of get out of this rut or to, you know, improve ourselves or improve the business. Mm. Um, it's going to get past this. Um, but, you know, like we've done two funding rounds and that that's always a really stressful time. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, like the, you just, you're just going out there and, and just having heaps of really negative meetings. Yes. Um, you know, the first time we did funding round, which was which is actually kind of during the transition from parallel parking to base up, mm. um, I think we had about ninety conversations with investors, oh, and wow. and we got four investors on. So there's like there's in there, and and actually I think that they were probably in the those four investors were probably the first four people we spoke to, or if not really close. So we basically had somewhere in the magnitude of like eighty no's in a row throughout that process, which is, is just exhausting. Yeah. And, you know, you go to, you know, you go to these meetings and this is over you know, a period of months. It's, it's, mm. it's, and it, and it, especially for me and the role I play in base up, it's my responsibility. Sure. Um, and, you know, you're just going to meetings with people who you really want something from them. Right, you really want them to invest because you really need the money, and that puts them in a huge position of power and a position of being able to afford to be extremely pessimistic and nitpicky. Which I get, you know, like they're they're, wanting, they're they're considering parting with some money over some 
you know, kids idea basically. Mm. Mm. Um, but I found that process, uh, especially the first time we did extremely stressful. Um, and you know, like you, you spend most of your week in meetings with people trying to explain to you why your idea is not very good. Yeah, of course. Why your business yeah. isn't going to be successful. Mm. It's, it's extremely exhausting. Yeah, but the resilience, right? I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting to is like, you know, you have to have a particular mindset, you know, to get through this, right? You have to be able to maintain a level of clarity on your faith in what you're doing um, to mm-hmm. not be polluted with this stuff. Because all, I mean, like, generally speaking, all information is good information. It's whether you decide that it's worthy to you or what you're doing, right? And so, yeah. you know, all this stuff they're saying to you is, you know, can be easily flipped and turned into an opportunity for you to go, well, Actually, that's pretty interesting. You know what I mean? Like, just because you're talking yeah. poorly of what I've got doesn't necessarily mean what I've got is wrong, but that actually is a weird insight for me and my business. And, you know, so, like, it's always about perspective and mindset through these these journeys. But, I mean, that thing about, you know, first rounds funding and, and when you're going for funding, normally you're eating runway, right, at the same time. So, timing oh, yeah, those things sure. are just stressful. You're freaking out because you're, like, you're seeing almost at that end is nigh, you know, kind of business moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's a painful, painful time. I mean, I've never done it personally. I've never had a chase like that. Um, but I've been mm. advisory to these things and, and, you know, sure. kind of sitting shotgun, you know, to the side of going, going, all right, well, you've got this, go for it. <laughs> you know, like, let's go yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never had to do it myself. I can imagine. I mean, I, you know, I can somewhat empathize, but yeah, I, I don't know if I could quite imagine the, what the room would be like specifically. Um, yeah. Cause it's tough. I think it's. I think as well, and, and you're right, like, you know, some of the meetings you go to and you're like, yeah, like, that's a that's a great idea. It's a really interesting insight, or I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that is not normally a good sign in a investor meeting. Oh, of course, yeah. They're expecting you to have it all worked out, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think the second round that we did was a lot easier because I think we knew the business a lot better. We mm-hmm. worked out all those questions that were coming up and, you know, we, we weren't getting stuff that was like, oh, shit, why didn't we think of that? Mm. Like we did in the first round. Well, it's good. But you, but maybe it is because of that first round that you were able to do it so well Oh, as well. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like you, you, you learn from the experience and you learn sure. pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you have no choice, right? You're like, all right, immediately. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing now with strategy and my current role. You know, it's like, well, these yeah. are the things that I'm hearing. These are the critical things that I'm hearing. So if we don't aim for those things, there's no point mm. in doing the thing we're doing. So if we can't sure, go and hit sure. one or two of those three things, like it's pointless, you know, or one of them could be really good if done well. So like, why would mm. we do this? So why would we start? Because we're doing a series of like startup type things. I'm like, why would we cool. spin in that direction if we weren't going to go for that? Um, because our investor... Yeah who would fund these things is saying, these are the, the critical three things I'd be looking for, you know, and people forget yeah, these sure. things, you know, they do, they're not looking for that, you know, um, they're like, no, no, would you get stuck in the detail? Right. And, um, and I'm like, well, the person who said they'll, that they'll fund things says this. So we have to aim for it. Yeah. You know? uh, to a certain degree. I think, yeah, I think, I think that kind of just sparked the, the thought. Well, I think the biggest thing we learned from the first round to the second round was that to, to not try and necessarily please the investors anymore. Yeah. You know, in the first round, you're trying, well, we were trying to make the business something that the investor would invest in. Mm. Whereas in the second round, we said, this is the business, take it or leave it. Sure. Yeah. You had the confidence at that point to say that. Yeah. 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 I mean, we had the money in the bank to, yeah, to yeah, buy exactly. our time yeah, a bit more backing, as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you listen to the podcast um, "How How I Built This" or I think that's "How I Built This"? Have you heard about uh, that? One? No, I can't. No, no I don't. I'll remind me. I'll send you the link after. Um, yeah, it, please it, do. But it's all about. Um, you know, they talked to Dyson about how he started Dyson. They talked to Dell about how he did Dell. Um, oh, cool. Uh, Jake, Jake Burton, uh, Burton Snowboards, how he did that. Um, I'm listening oh, to one cool. about the guys yeah, yeah. that started Stripe, you know, like it's all about their sort of ins and outs of their journeys, which are pretty fun. Like you hear these things and some of them, it's just totally not the digital tech side that, you know, you and I kind of come yeah. from. It's like really different. Yeah. Um, but the guy that mm-hmm. did, uh, FUBU, the, um, for you, buy you clothing line. Um, oh, cool. like it was his story and it was just like, you hear his story. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this guy's, it just was so many things. Right. And, um, and he's on shark tank now, you know what I mean? You're just uh, like, okay. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. you know, so it's just, it's a funny, um, you know, think about startups and you think about, 
you know, right time as well. You mentioned that, you know, you'd, you'd seen that moment where it was the timing was right to kind of get, go for it. You felt, you felt that like, that's, you know, a lot of that stuff plays, you know, it's an interesting instinct yep. to be able to kind of see the world that way. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think for us at that time, we really felt a sense of urgency, um, which uh, probably some of it was manufactured and like us just being stressed about what might be happening in the industry or us not really understanding competitors or, or how the market was going to function down the line. Um, I think though the, the the timing on the move to base up was really fortuitous, like actually pivoting the business because, it, you know, it's kind of a, it, it was a, it's, it's a hard decision to say like, we're packing up this business and doing something else. Um, but when it came down to it, you know, like the numbers, you just, we were confident in the numbers and, and, you know, they're not nostalgic about, you know, the first business you set up or about what you've been working on or whatever that is. So I think we had to kind of just trust in, in our gut on what the numbers were telling us. And I, you know, Jack and I laugh now that like our, both of our mums were quite upset when we closed parallel parking because they were like nostalgic about it and, sure. you know, yeah. and we're kind of upset that we weren't making it work <laughs> when we were like, no, we're done with it. We're moving on. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Were they, um, uh, family friendly investors in the, in parallel parking? No, no it wasn't. It wasn't. No. So they were just, they were passionate for you guys' journey and yeah, the yeah, experience they only us, like yeah. proper mom stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's mm. cool. That's interesting too. It's like, you know, cause they would, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you have to kill your babies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's I mean, hectic. Yeah. <laughs> to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Like you did yeah. it, you just had to pivot it. But I mean, yeah, that's kind of yeah. the whole analogy, right? You have to be willing to let yeah. something go to, to move on to the next, to the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's cool, man. So, I mean, where, where to from here? I mean, what is the journey? You know, what, what does this all mean to you? Like, is this, you know, are we going to base up for build a business, hit a, hit a point in time and, and then sell it and then move on to the next thing? I mean, you must have some sort of plan here, Alex. I feel like you would, you would not be a person just riding in the car <laughs> without knowing where you're going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, well, actually it's, it's, uh, it's not the best analogy for me because I've got really ser- terrible sense of directions. I'm, <laughs> I'm highly dependent on, on Google maps or someone directing me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, with the, with the business, I think that kind of step one for us is that we want to build a business that we enjoy working in. Mm. Um, you know, we, we want to be happy and same with everyone in the team. You know, we want to build a business that people are happy to work for and, and to work with. Yep. Um, that obviously then it also needs to be financially viable. So like we need to be able to make a living out of it, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we're doing at the moment, which is, which is great. Um, but yeah, obviously long term, we didn't get into this just for fun. Like we got into it with the idea that we could, um, be financially successful out of it. So I think, you know, if we can make a, a, a viable business that, that can support us, it's, it's then about making, um, you know, where can we then, I guess, look at exit opportunities and things like that. I think for us, right. we've always got the fallback that our, uh, we don't have the type of startup that constantly needs huge amounts of VC money to, to pump it up and like mm. it run a loss for years and years. Um, it's just really not the type of business that BaseUp is. Right. BaseUp has a really stable, reliable business model. Mm-hmm. And while we've taken funding to kind of get set up, you know, once we're at the point of being break even, it's you know, it's it's just a, it's just a viable business to run that has good margins and is, is relatively lean from a cost perspective. So mm. we'd love to obviously be able to at some point sell the business and, and, and kind of reap the financial reward of the efforts we've put in. Mm. But long-term, if that's not the case, um, we still think we can have a viable financially successful business that we just continue to run. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. The godfathers of parking you guys could be. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Is that well, the idea? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jack and I do obviously uh, joke about each other being the face of Australian parking. Yeah, yeah. which is, um, and I, uh, I was there's actually so there's like a there's a there's like a Australian parking body. Yeah, right. Um, that I, I was going to nominate Jack for uh, the young 
Australian Parking Person of the Year. Why didn't you? Uh, it was so much paperwork. Oh, like, you God. wouldn't believe how much paperwork it was. Like, I was, you know, like, he would have won, I'm sure. That would have been brilliant. I'm sure he would have won um, and, like, gone to the ceremony. Oh, but boy. it was, like, yeah, it was a lot of paperwork. Like, oh. I had to upload a full CV and write an essay about him, and it wasn't it wasn't worth the was it wasn't worth the joke in the end oh man that's a long run too that'd have been hilarious because he would have been you know in in things for a long time just referenced like as that guy oh boy yeah yeah Jeez. you could out maybe I that. you could air tasker yeah that i'm just i'm thinking now yeah <laughs> there's always next year yeah there's always next year yeah yeah you that's can do it. It forever. or maybe maybe me and some of the guys from work would just like get a beer one night and and write it yeah. Right in the office after hours. Yeah, wax lyrical, do a big, a big, huge, like, <laughs> proper G up one, make it emotional, mm, mm. go up and cry That's on stage it. when he gets it and shit. That'll be good. <laughs> oh, mate. Hey, so That's where it. are you at with your cycling? You uh, obviously, I don't know where we're at with uh, the old coronavirus and cycling, but uh, what happened there? You, you got into the cycling. Yeah, it's like I got super into cycling last year. Um, yeah. A guy I used to work with was really into it and, and sort of thought I might like it. And Pete, um, one of co-founders, yeah. cycles as well. And so around this time last year, um, I sort of started getting into it. Um, and, you know, it was building up some like really solid fitness, which for me, like I'd played sport a lot as a kid, um, but I, I was never particularly athletic or, or in really good shape or anything. So, Last year was probably the first time that I was like in really good shape, uh, which feeling. was great. And That's I think, a great feeling. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic feeling. And um, I think it helped me a lot, even just from a work sense. Like it, 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 my my work and personal life benefited hugely from from that. Mm. Um, but then um, at the September last year, I actually got hit by a car while I was riding. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, so that kind of sucked. And How bad of a hit? Um, not that bad. Like, they they had been stopped, so like mm. they weren't going super fast. Yeah. Um, like, I got hit off, and I got some cuts and bruises, but thankfully I didn't, like, break anything, and mm. the bike was in pretty bad shape. Like, the bike was yeah. unrideable again. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, and then I kind of got back on my bike and then I got injured not long later, which kind of sucks. But so kind of from the start of this year, I've been injury free again and, and riding a lot more. Right. I've got, a, I've got like, you know, like Zwift, I've got yeah. like an indoor yeah. training setup as yeah. well, which has been really helpful while um, coronavirus is keeping us indoors. Yeah, that's massive. So yeah, I normally try and cycle like probably four times a week. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. It's a healthy yeah. habit at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So how many and, kilometers you, so, is that? How many kilometers are we doing a week then? Um, last week I did 150. It's, it's decent. That's a decent amount. Yeah, are we, are I normally, logging I normally, it all? we're logging it all in like all in Strava. Strava, all in Strava. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, it's all in Strava. We got the full. Punch. Um. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I've. Me, Pete, and Trent all still ride together, mm. um, and kind of all have longer term things we want to train for. Yeah, okay. And I think that for me, I think having the like long term goals mm. and re- and really like kind of like attainable and tangible goals outside of work is really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, especially like comparing to early days of getting into this, like all your energy and your and your thoughts are really going into work. Mm. Um, and that can be really unhealthy. Um, and it can be really bad for your work as well. Like you need, you really need that switch off time. So I think cycling has, since I've started it, given me some other stuff to work on and some other things to obsess over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it gives you perspective too. You know what I mean? Like not, not in like life is a whole different thing, but like having multiple you know, areas where you focus allows you to have a perspective on, you know, the the magnitude of one thing, right? So if you're only focusing on one yeah, thing in your definitely. life, it's the biggest thing that you have going on. But if you have multiple streams 100%. of things, you know, they're not quite as big. Whilst they're big at the, in in the moment of dealing with it, you know, you're, you know, you might compare that problem to trying to get a better 
time climbing a hill and you'd be like, well, fuck, I'm not getting that. That's way harder to do. You know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I hear yeah, you there, yeah. man. I, I, um, I haven't ridden forever. It's like, I'm done riding. So you sold your bike, right? Yeah, I sold it. Yeah. I'm out. I'm completely out. Although I'm kicking myself now that you mentioned the coronavirus and the, and Zwift, because that would have been brilliant right now. Cause I had that set up. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah I had a full so Zwift. Yeah. Cause how many, how many, um, riding maps are in Zwift now? How many of the uh, I think there's six. Yeah. I think there's like yeah. six worlds. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they only had, um, I think they were just doing the third when I stopped. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. No, it's great. I love it. And, yeah. you know, I lo- I, I, I use that pre- predominantly for like structured workouts. Yeah. And then, and then I'll get out and cycle with other people as like a good social, you know, like I still can go for like a nice tough ride, but do it more socially and do it with other people and enjoy it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's a whole, like, that that virtual riding was insanely harsh uh, as well. Like, I rode some pretty yeah. serious rides in there. I think I did, I want to say one time, I think I did possibly somewhere between 80 and 100 Ks in there. Like, on in Zwift in one a, ride. You're just, like, in my office. It's a tough, well, that's, when I, um, when I got injured, it was, it was, because I was, um, I was looking at doing a, a, a race mm. that, that was a couple of weekends ago now um, called Peaks, um, oh, which yeah. is yeah. like, a, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. like um, 230 kilometer yeah, race in Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was kind of trying to size up that as a challenge. Um, so I did 200 Ks on Zwift. Oh, wow. And and got injured doing it. Like, oh, I, is that I, what I, it was? I <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just overtrained basically. Yeah. Oh, so and then getting injured um meant that I like I couldn't get prepared for that that race yeah, in time. Exactly. Which sucked. Oh jeez, man. That is that's insane. <laughs> How long were you in Zwift to do the 200k? Uh about 7 hours. 7 hours. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's a long it's a long, it's a long time. It's a long it's a time. Long time. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's um you get you get pretty over it pretty quickly. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. But, I, I you know, know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I definitely prefer cycling outside. Yeah. And, and with other people. Yeah, definitely. I, I enjoy that far more. I, I supplemented that way, like rainy days. And then I had, mm. I used, um, I did, um, have you used Sufferfest yet? No, I haven't. It's any good. Oh, it's fucking great. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's horrendous. Like short, <laughs> under under an hour, just ass beatings, like serious cycling <laughs> ass beatings. So I did training. Nice. I trained with some of their training programs. I did their sprinting program and I did their climbing yeah, cool. program. And man, like it was absolutely transformational, brutal. like, but yeah, brutal, okay, cool. brutal. And I did like, I just focused, I think it was like a three week or four, four, four to six weeks. I can't remember anymore, but it was like a, yeah. a window of like, you know, four to six weeks to get watt change and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah. it was, it was a big burn. Um, yeah, I think I was doing yeah, five, six nice. days. Yeah. A week. I'll check it out. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. But you can do it. Like they've got the same thing now. I don't know. Their, their level of app is, will be incredible now compared to what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that and Training Peaks, which I kind of moved away from. Oh, not Training Peaks, um, Trainer Road I moved away from. Trainer Road. Yeah, yeah I listen to their podcast sometimes, actually. Yeah. Trainer Road was cool, but it just was a different thing. It was uh, it was very old yeah. school, but for my opinion. Like, I loved the engaging yeah. videos. Think about Sufferfest, which yeah. was fun, which is similar to Zwift, was you feel like you're mm. in an environment of writing, which definitely yeah. takes your mind off of the pain side. Um, yeah, which yeah, is interesting and like well. they, 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 there's so much gamification in Zwift. Oh, um, huge! Yeah, that, that kind of keeps going, which you know, which is is a great part of the. It's because it, you need the distractions when you're inside. Oh, 100 percent. Cycling is very much distraction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I see. I do CrossFit now, so that's like I've changed out. Like, well, I stopped riding because I got hurt, um, and then I yeah. wanted to kind of. I started to. Uh, do CrossFit before I got hurt, and then I've used CrossFit to rehabilitate, and then I got okay, like, cool. junked on that because that's like an hour a day of just total ass beating, and you get a lot out of it. Um, nice. And it doesn't require me spending nearly as much time, uh, you know, in cycling basically, because I was getting. I mean, I was up in like I I don't know. There'd be weeks weeks that would I'd go and I'd go do maybe 
somewhere between six and eight hours a day on the weekend plus you know oh, an nice. hour to two hours a day so i was riding somewhere between five six seven days a week so i was pumping in yeah, i was getting nice. up into like the 300 kilometer range so it was just like wow oh yeah it was huge weeks like three four hundred kilometers a week and i was just like this is crazy because i've just you know I think the only reason I was able to do it is because I didn't have kids full time. If I had my kids full time, I would never have been able yeah, to. Do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, mate, that is. We could probably talk about cycling for everybody, but I probably could. Like, <laughs> I probably should let you go. I appreciate uh, you podcast. jumping on. Yeah, um, it was good catching no, up with you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so um, much for having, me and I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it was good. It was good chat, mate. It's good to uh, just kind of catch up with you as, as well. Um, what are you going to do for the apocalypse? Definitely. What's your plans? Um, mate, just hunker down um you, you heard of yeah have you heard of soylent soylent, I have soylent yeah it's like yeah. yeah it's like um it's it's like a it's like a food shake yeah type thing yeah like it, it was in it was invented by some like silicon valley startup ceo type person yeah who but it's not a pyramid um, scheme is it it's not a pyramid scheme. I hope not. I uh, really hope not. <laughs> Are you buying from someone pitch, and selling to other people? About to, I'm, I'm, I'm pit, about to pitch to your listeners I know. Now. I'm like, no. No, no. no, so when when I was like, oh, man, like supermarkets are going crazy. Right. I was like, I've got I've got some soylent here. So if, if everything hits the fan, I've got like, I've got some liquid food to, to keep me going while, while things clear over. Right. Because of the toilet paper problem. Yeah, that's it. It's going to just all be liquid anyways. Yeah, that's it. Fair enough. Well, hey, Um, good luck with that. I hope that you don't soil into your pants (laughs) during the apocalypse. Uh, Yeah, I I think it'll be be fine. I think things should, um, you know, a couple of weeks inside in isolation, I think we'll be back out. Yeah, well, we'll see. Let's hope anyway. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we can only stay positive, right? Could be yeah, two that's weeks. It. I might look like an absolute months. idiot yeah. in, 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 a, in a future oh, episode of this. I don't think so. I would, not, I would not hold anybody accountable for forecasting the future at this point, right? Now, who knows what's going to happen next? Anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, mate, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it was great having you on. No, cool. Thanks so much. I'll chat to you again soon. Cheers, mate. So there you go. That's uh, Alex Peck, one of the founders of BaseUp. A uh, man who is the godfather of parking in the greater, I guess, Australian gambit of parking. I can imagine that there's a full-on mob war over parking. That stuff would be crazy to have to uh, to navigate. As we all know, it's uh, it's an insane world of parking. He's gotten out of the the general mumbo jumbo, but to own parking feels like a uh, almost mobster style life. Anyways, that's <laughs> just me. So I'm somewhat joking around. Look, this. It's it's an interesting story to hear uh, somebody move through something with uh, a level of focus, uh, sort of plotting their way from their younger years uh, to doing something now that you know eventually could possibly be sold. But you know, I think the point being that it provides a level of comfort and satisfaction in in the life that he's choosing to live, which. Uh, I think it's something we all look for. You know, we're all looking for that sort of stuff. And you know, it's not not to say he hasn't had his ups and downs, as he said. Uh, he's had to move through a lot of things. He had to understand a lot of things about himself and probably his team and the people he's working with. Um, but at the same time, the perseverance is there, and and the ability to have the correct mindset here is is what helps people like Alex and his team uh, to grow a business, start a startup, and go through that you know, sort of turbulent life that you live for the all-consuming period of time before, like you said, you kind of start to find those moments where you have clarity and begin to solve the, the you know, real problems of a startup, which is the longevity side of it. So, you know, kudos to these guys. They've been around for a while doing this and growing and, and getting their funding. And, you know, it's all very impressive stuff. And, uh, and again, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, just a reminder to <clears throat> stay connected. You know, jump on my socials, uh, Podbean as a place to listen if you want to uh, get an all-in-one inclusive uh, podcasting experience. It's pretty interesting. Outside of that, you get the RSS feeds. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you guys are enjoying it, I, I appreciate it. I've seen some bumps from around the globe, which is cool. Different people from different walks of life. I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Um, but I'm out of here. I got to kind of get back to my life of being a I guess what would we call this in the pandemic apocalypse that we're living in when we stay at home? I'm not going to say a prisoner to my own home because I can go outside. I get yard time. 
I get fitness time. I had to go out the back and do my workout today because I can no longer go to the gym, go to my box and do my CrossFit. I had to go out the back and do it, which still was hard. Um, but interesting. We need to keep that up. Uh, it'll be fun to do that. So you get up in the morning and can work out at the house. I almost have like a home gym going on, which is a first. It doesn't fit in the place that I live, but it is there. So a bit of exercise, keeping up my hydration, trying not to go batty and trying some new stuff out. So uh, people, enjoy your isolation. I hope you practice uh, what we should all be doing and, and, and taking care of uh, ourselves by staying away from each other. <laughs> so let's self-isolate as a big group uh, away from each other. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Hope you have a good one and enjoy your days to come.